Audio visual from an Irish perspective. This is the All Things Techie Podcast. So, Tom, start me off. Where did it all begin for you? You know, um, what gave you your fascination of audiovisual, and how did you start about going down this what career path? <laughs> we'll call it a career path. Well, and when I've done classes and stuff in the past, you know, we could do introductions and stuff. And, and what you find, and it's true of me as well, a lot of us just fall into this industry by accident. Everyone does. Yeah, it's not, you know, in, in high school or something like that, you know, I want to grow up and be an AV person. <laughs> That's just not something that anybody thinks about. Um, as a little background, I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area. Okay. But in the 80s, I was down in the, in the Dallas, Texas area going to school. Mm -hmm. And you had to do some campus work of some sort. And I'd been doing off-campus stuff. Last couple semesters were getting busy. And literally, the thought process was no more complicated than this. I think I can hear pretty well, so let's try audio. Okay. So I actually joined the audio ministry. And the reason I did that is I felt like I could pick out sounds and what they were fairly well. And I could hear that. 15.75 kilohertz from us from the old CRT, mm -hmm. your horizontal frequency, right. you know, so if I walked into a room, I could tell whether the television was on or whether or not I could see the television. So I, I didn't know at the time I could hear 16 K. I didn't know the, the technical part of that. Um, so I joined the audio ministry and the first thing I learned how to do was how to over and under wrap a 50 foot mic cable. Wow. So it didn't get tangled going yeah. across the stage. <laughs> Um, that was actually spring of 86. So been around a while. Um, but it was spring break in 86 and they were going to put a new console in their uh, 2,500 seat auditorium and maintenance was supposed to put in a new nice four inch conduit for all the new lines they were going to run and maintenance part department didn't get to it till late in the week. I get a call Friday. Hey, doing anything this weekend? No, just hanging around no, the apartment. What you're trying to tell me is nothing has changed since the 1980s. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Still waiting on the infrastructure. Um, so anyway, it's like, hey, you want to help us put in a console? And I'm like, sure. Uh, to give you an idea of the vintage, it was replacing an original PM1000 with one of the new at the time tax scorpion consoles wow okay so helped them run all that it was my first introduction to an all-nighter and my first introduction to cable pulling lubricant nasty <laughs> stuff that that is mm -hmm. um but i got to meet this sound system designer and contractor through this um and got to know him a little bit and literally interned with him for a couple of years he got free labor out of me uh, and I got a free education. And that was just kind of the beginning of many all-nighters. Um, we used to have, when I was working with him, had kind of this phrase, not before 10 and not before 10. I mean, generally you didn't start anything before 10 o'clock at night and anything before 10 o'clock in the morning. So you pulled all-nighters doing that. Yes. I was a veteran all-nighter is what it was. Yeah. Um, sadly, that's sometimes the nature of AV. Mm. Um, you know, the designers and, and salespeople and that kind of stuff. But if you're doing anything, installation, live events, production, any of that kind of stuff, um, you end up pulling all-nighters. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've done this in class too. You know, how many have been up for two days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, I've, I've done the three day straight thing. Um, that and, and the other guys that have been up for three days to tell you the same thing, by the time that's when the hallucinations start kicking in, mm-hmm. you know, it's not when you want to be up on top of scaffold or have a soldering iron in your hand or any of the other kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> this is funny. A guy told me many, many years ago, you can go without food. You can go without sleep. You can't go without both. Pick one. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, I know. Like, and, uh, and you know, like I, my background is like I, I did radio and uh, broadcasting, like and working on on as a broadcasting assistant and sound technician for national radio stations here in Ireland. And you know, once the tiredness kicks in, that's where you know mistakes start happening. You know, and and I I I pulled long shifts on on national radio stations covering people that were out sick and stuff like that, you know, and you know, so really, you you were more into the install before you went into any live events, then Tom. Yeah, well, it was combination of live events because he was doing uh, install and live events, so I got a a chance to do both Mm. with him. Um, That was my first time I was ever up in a genie lift, you know, the man lift yeah. thing. Uh, and I don't like heights anyway. They're a pain in the backside to put up, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the, the genie lift he had wasn't too bad. It was small enough where it would fit through what we would call here in the U.S. a 3-0 door, three feet okay. wide. Um, so it was, a, it was that size, but still, um, yeah. And like I say, I don't like heights to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't favor being up in the air. Um, I was in one of the jobs I was doing for him. We were working on a cluster and I was up in a cherry picker, I'm, I'm, you know, the, off the back of a truck and it wasn't even caged. And I oh. was young enough, of course, yeah, <laughs> I was young enough. I didn't know any better. You know, you're young and dumb. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know what could happen. Uh, so no fall arrest protection, anything else like that. And I'm up there messing with a cluster. You'd be safer on a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> In that instance. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of where it got started. And during that time period, I also got, um, working some church audio down that way. Uh, worked with a fellow named, uh, Gerald and <laughs> here's another old console, an old 32 channel Stevenson interface. A beautiful type of equipment back in the day. Oh, I mean, it wasn't tube. <laughs> it wasn't that far removed. And um, ran that console. In fact, the first console I ever ran was one of the old Allen and Heath blue ones. Right. What the, the series numbers on those were. Um, but yeah, I got to run that PM1000, got to run an early Allen and Heath. And man, that tech Scorpion then at the time. Gosh, that thing was nice. Mm. You know, and I'm still, after all these years, a big fan of analog consoles. Well, I was going to just, like, that sort of was in the back of my mind as a question, you know. Like, I've had this on podcasts before, and I I think I've asked Tim Albright about it as well. It's like, what's your thoughts on digital desks? Like, for me, I'd be like, yeah, you can teach someone a digital desk. And, like, I know even people that's been asked these questions in interviews. It's like, oh, so you know how to use a digital desk. It's like, I know how to use an analog desk. That's more important. You know, the digital interface will come afterwards. You know, it, it's all about, you know, 
what this button does on a digital desk. Signal flow. Yeah, like <laughs> all about signal flow. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like I, I just really don't get like the the fascination. Of, like I've had now, not our churches are nothing in comparison to American style massive churches and and the congregation that might occur at churches over in America. But like, I remember a couple of churches saying, oh yeah, we want to get a digital mixing desk. I was like, why? You know, you have a small band. Uh, you, you have a, you have a, an analog desk that will do the job. You know, um, what if the digital breaks down? Are, are you able to man an analog desk? You know, and they just wanted to make things easier. It's like, no, yeah. you make it more complex for yourself. And this is true because I had my own uh, side business for years, for about 16 years, doing uh, sound reinforcement. Um, so I was doing that on the side. And a lot of the church audio that I did when I moved back to the Washington, D.C. area, and that was back in 88, a lot of the church audio I did was on portable setups. So we were pulling in and out of like high schools and that kind of stuff. And if you had to plug that system in every week and pack it up, you understood signal flow. Yes. You know, that it's coming from the mic, it goes back to the console, you understood the signal flow through the console, that it goes through the effects processors, loops back, goes back up front to the power amplifiers, now to the loudspeakers. You understood how to connect it and how it went together. Mm -hmm. um, and you can take that lesson and apply it to any sound system because they're all alike, really. Yeah. yeah. But with digital, and also when I was teaching people with permanent, permanently installed systems, they didn't have that fundamental signal flow, how does all of this go together type knowledge as a foundation. Because mm -hmm. if you've got to plug it in every week, you get it. You get it, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 100% no, agree. So when in your career did it, did Infocom, it was Infocom at the time, when did yeah. Infocom come knocking on your door? When did you join huh. Infocom? This is funny. I spent um, 11 and a half years working for a place called Systems Wireless, and I was their procurement manager at the time. And one of the bigger vendors that we had as a company out in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, called Electrosonics. Uh, and they are high-end wireless for broadcast, production, theater, that kind of stuff. They also do some contracting stuff, uh, install stuff as well. But I got to know them through their wireless microphones. And one of the guys that I knew out there, a gentleman named Gordon Moore, he's actually the president now. Um, he would actually, because I was outside of, not too far from Fairfax where Infocom is headquartered, he would come in and teach classes. He was one of their volunteer instructors. And he and I knew each other. He would come over to the house for dinner when he was in town, all the other kind of stuff. And just as a side thing, one night I mentioned to him, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed doing was teaching audio. And he's like, you know, I have an opportunity for you. And at the time, Infocom used to do what they called their IPD, Institute for Professional Development. Mm -hmm. And that was separate from the show. So Gordon was doing a three-day class all about audio or something like that at IPD. And that time it was in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. So he had me come in to co-teach with him. Uh, we did the first two days. And then a gentleman by the name of Ray Rayburn came in and did day three. Now, Ray Rayburn, he's been around forever. He's an AES fellow. One of those guys that knows more about everything audio 
Well, I, I would, when, once you said AES there, Tom, you know, like they AES had last year their conference in Dublin. And yeah. I went I went along and I, I did a couple of podcasts there, but it just blew my mind. Now, I thought I knew a bit about audio. I felt <laughs> like the dumbest guy in the room when you, you walk into these and they're scientifically talking about audio. And yeah. It it, wow. it it apps and uh, my co-host Simon had did audio uh, engineering in college and he was coming out going yeah I know about one percent of what they were talking about in the room that day you know yeah that's really scientifically like you talk about Infocom and then you talk about AES and it's a speciality in just audio engineering mm-hmm. in in with AES. Yeah. So I say that experience with that guy to, to to learn off him was something. Oh, Ray Rayburn. He's a wonderful gentleman yeah. and extremely knowledgeable. Um, he actually revised um, John Urgel's microphone book. I mean, you can tell by the my backdrop here. I'm a bit of a book hound. <laughs> so this is actually my professional library behind me. So, you know, one of the things that I like is you know, well, why do we do this? Well, I'm sure somebody has researched this and published it somewhere. So rather than we do this because so-and-so says so, where is this published and where is it referenced? How is this backed up? How has this been vetted? You know, those kind of things. I like to get to the heart of things rather than doing something just because somebody says to do it that way. Yes. So anyway, um, so after we did the IPD, uh, Gordon actually brought me in to do some of the classes he was doing there in Fairfax. And at that time, Infocom was transitioning from all volunteer instructors to staff instructors, the first one being a gentleman named Scott Wills. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of looking around for a new opportunity at the time. And one of the times I was over at Fairfax, Scott said, you know, we might have an opportunity here. So I'd already, they already knew me, um, I, you know, through some of my volunteer work. So they were familiar with what I could do. And in 2006, I got hired on as a full-time staff instructor. Super. So, and that's up until the, the layoffs at Avixa um, a little while ago, I was there for almost 16 years. Now, you seem to be, the, well, from my experience of Avixa, you seem to be the guy that like knows the maths of it all backwards and <laughs> inside out so if, if there's a maths guy it was it was tom's face on it you know you have you have chuck's face on some stuff but when it came yeah. down to to math is that sort of the corner that they sort of push you into with, with the training well like anybody in av we all have our strengths and weaknesses honestly um we had four staff instructors at the time there was myself chuck chrissy and marcus um, three of us got let go during the layoffs. Chuck is still there mm-hmm. and Chuck's a great guy. I mean, he's got his strengths in install and commissioning. I mean, he is all over that. Um, you know, I just happened to do the math and, and honestly, this goes back to when I was doing my design classes, uh, back in 2001, I guess it was, uh, some of the instructors I had at the time was Mario Maltese um of av res and uh um oh Her- uh, roy hermanson was another one um kim milliken of daylight screens 
-hmm. I mean, it, Kim was amazing eloquence. And if you read his uh, Angles of View newsletters from back in the day, I can still hear that come out in Kim's voice. Um, Scott Scherer was another one at the time, Steve Thorburn. So there was all these amazing people. And one of the things with Mario is, you know, do the math, you know, do the math, because this is engineering. Mm -hmm. And all aspects of an audiovisual system are predictable before you ever install it. Mm -hmm. You know, are we going to have a uh, minimum contrast ratio? Is this thing going to go into feedback? Are people going to be able to see the content? Are they going to be able to, I mean, all of that stuff is predictable. Now we do have some modeling programs and stuff like ease, but I mean, still do the basic math, prove it out. So in, with all the years of you doing the training, I'm guessing you went into the writing of some of the CTS material and CTS oh, yeah. material. What, yeah. what did you enjoy the most? I, I know there's design, there's install, and there's the general. What, what area? I oh, guess, one of my favorite topics of all time really was the whole power and grounding stuff. Um, back in 2008, we actually had what we called the power and grounding summit in Fairfax. Mm -hmm. uh, Mario was along with that at the time. Um, Bob Schluter of Middle Atlantic was in on that. Jim Herrick, also of Middle Atlantic. In fact, I think also Jim Maltese was part of that. Uh, Bill Natras, who was a consultant for years, he's working for Biamp now, was another person involved there. And basically, you know, the whole idea and power and grounding and what's needed, so much of that. Um, so much of that is misunderstood in our industry. Everything from what a balanced interface is to what grounding or what you would know as earthing. Mm -hmm. You know, all of that kind well, of that, stuff. That, that's what I was going to say, Tom. Like you, you bring in an international team into a room and you try and battle this out. And how are we going to, to put this into context in a book that people will be able to agree on? You could, you could be talking a couple of months or if not a couple of years before no. you can actually battle this out and say that this is actually a standard at that stage. Well, yeah, and this didn't become a standard, but basically, and you would know this, designing an audiovisual system, you've got to have the supporting infrastructure. You've got to plug the stuff in somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got to know how many circuits and how they're going to be arranged, and you're going to be running wire, and you're going to need conduit for that. So you need to know what kind of conduit to specify and how big it's going to be and all the things that go along with it. And what's really necessary as far as your earthing to make sure that you're going to get adequate signal to noise. For the most part, I mean, you don't need anything wild and crazy. Mm -hmm. But here the, here's the thing. Most of us in the audiovisual industry that are tasked with specifying this infrastructure don't have an electrical engineering background of any sort. No. No basic circuit theory or field theory or anything else like it's that. It's just like that, Tom. I say... I could I could put a high up at saying eighty percent of the AV people I know in Ireland. Well, let's put it this way: there's there's I think at this current moment eight or nine CTS holders in Ireland. There's no I and there's no D. Hmm. But that's not to say there's fantastic audiovisual people out there in Ireland. It's just right. they have been working the field 
for that many years that they just do it, but at times can't even explain what they're doing. Yeah. And well, and that's, that's, that's true of a lot of uh, regular installers. Mm -hmm. They know the what, but not the why. Mm -hmm. uh, designers should know the why. And that's not to say that installers shouldn't know the why. You know, because at some point, you're going to have to make some decisions on site. And you need to know if I move this, how does it affect that? Yes. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think installers are, well, I guess I can say this because I don't work for a Vixen now, so I don't have to worry about <laughs> being kind of politically correct with this. I think installers are undervalued and underpaid. They, you know, look, I think there's, there's so many, not just installers, like well, I, I pull it back to live events, the amount of yeah. people that are underpaid in this industry for what they are doing and the hours that they are pulling in the audiovisual sector. It's, it's huge, you know? Um, and I say we, you could go as far as saying designers as well. It definitely, you know, yeah, I think as soon as you hit into the design end of things, well, then you can sort of play against being a project manager as well. But yeah, uh, I, yeah, it's an underpaid industry. I, 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 firmly believe that too yeah i i totally let's let's rewind a bit and just say so you were you were working with infocom when did you have your cts at that stage or did you i had my ctsd when? already yeah i got my ctsd back in 2001 okay before the testing centers and all the other kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so the certification uh even when i got my eye was quite a bit different than it is now Chuck was, Chuck was actually explaining this to me um, only recently that it, we get online exams and, and going in and doing computer-based exams. You have to show that you set up and terminate cables and set up projectors and throw ratios and everything. That, I can't imagine there was that many CTSI holders at that stage, uh, internationally even, or even in America, yeah. If you had to go and show it to an examiner, and there was only so many examiners at that stage, that was true of both the D and the I, right. honestly. Um, so to be able to take it, you know, with the whole ANSI American National Standards Institute ISO International uh, Standards Organization 17024, to be able to take it to that level and do the third party testing centers made that much more available worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, but the testing process back in the day, because yeah, I'm that old, uh, was just brutal. Um, the design classes at the time were two five-day units. And at the end of the second five-day unit, you would get like a hundred question multiple choice, open book. You took it back to your hotel room and you're up to like one or two o'clock in the morning, you know, because you want to make sure you get the thing right. You turn that in the next morning and they would give you a package to design to. Now, keep in mind, you're not doing CAD. You've got to do it all hand-drawn. So all of the architectural diagrams, all of the signal flow diagrams show all of your math for justification longhand, you know, equipment lists, all the other kind of stuff with it. Uh, and you had, I guess, about eight or nine hours to complete all of the deliverables that went with a design package. Wow. And in the middle of that, they would haul you out 
for the oral portion of the exam where you would sit across the desk from two CTSDs and they would start firing questions at you to see if you really knew your stuff. <laughs> okay, that, that, that actually scares me. Like, you know, like that's, that's sort of like an army type of approach of, of do you know your stuff or do you not? Well, well and it, you know, that practical component, because you have to justify yourself in front of clients, right? Yes. So there is that, that practical portion to it. You know, can you, can you justify what it is you're asking for, you know, like the electrical infrastructure, you know, that's also part of it too. And, and, you know, in specifying the electrical infrastructure, you have to specify per code NEC here in the U S or if you're over in the UK, you know, BS 7671, mm -hmm. you know, the, the I, um, IWE wiring regulations, you've got to do that per the regulations or else you're not going to get what you need. So you yeah. need to know code. Yeah. You need to know regulations. Yeah. That, of course, the CTS, that actually, this is, this is one that keeps on popping up on, on AV tweets that IT is AV or AV is IT rather. And when you, when you look at what you're talking about, how, how you did your CTSI and CTSD exam, Tom, do you buy into this that AV is part of IT? Um, I might rephrase it a little differently. I think what we're going to do is everything that we move is going to be on an IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And this is in no way to belittle our IT counterparts, but I think a lot of it is they don't know what they don't know. And Avixa had this three thing, you know, there's technology, there's the content and there's the space, right? The technology is fairly easy. Throw a box at it, yeah. okay? I know we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. But the space, the acoustics, is this really a room, the environment, the lighting, is all of this kind of stuff going to be conducive to communicating a message? And the content, can you see it or hear it? Hmm. I mean, that's all part of it. So I think maybe what our IT counterparts don't have a grasp of yet would be the idea of the content and the space. Mm. And this has been kind of something for me for a long, long time. You know, as far as our IT counterparts, how can we even let them know that we're here to help? They don't even know we exist. Yes, <laughs> that's the problem. Well, have. nobody knows we exist, honestly. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to what kind of what we were talking about before. Nobody goes to school and goes, I want to be an AV person. Because, you know, we've had a hard time even defining ourselves as an industry. And I've said this before. If you go to a party and you tell somebody you do audiovisual. Oh, so you're the IT guy. Yeah. Well, you're, you're instantly the most boring person at the party. <laughs> nobody knows what you do. Mm hmm well, you know, we, we, we changed on a bit with AV tweeps, but yeah, yeah. Unless we're going outside of our, outside of our little industry. Yeah. Nobody. No. Nope, nope. Yeah. Yeah. You, they, don't you're, even, they don't even know we exist. Yeah, they don't. No, <laughs> that's the problem. It's like, oh, so you you know you can mount up my TV on the wall or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that, <laughs> like, I, I I could go into talking about like, and no, I'm not going to put it above the fireplace. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> well, this is it. This is it. Like this is this is my this is my my sister. Like who who would uh, would have that type of conversation with me? Like I'll give her the ideas and go. That's not going to work, and she'll go and do the complete opposite of what Justin told her to do. Uh, yeah. So, but you've you've had loads of different areas in your career and then ended up with Infocom, which is now VIX and of course what's happened recently. Where, where's been your favorite place to, to work in all the years that you've been doing audiovisual? Oh, um, on the audiovisual side, honestly, doing the in-person classes mm. have been some of my absolute favorite times. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. One of the things I love about this industry is most folks in this industry want to learn. You know, they, they want to know how all this stuff works and why. Mm. Um, I had one class and it was just funny because sometimes I would get, get kind of an average years of experience and stuff. And that's not to say that I know everything because I obviously don't. No, I think I, like you at AES, right? You re, you yeah. discover, hey man, all these people a lot smarter than I am, you know, and it and it's true. Um, hang around the smart people. <laughs> That's what I tell my kids. Don't hang around the dumb people. Hang around the smart people, and you'll get to learn some things. But you know, there's a lot more experience out in the seats than there is up in front of the class. So they have just as much, if not more, to add to the class. But there was one class they were especially, um, especially experienced and nerdy to boot. And it was one of those, I wish I had had a bunch of like pocket protectors to hand out for some of the more esoteric questions and things that come up, you know, for the really good nerdy questions, hand out a pocket protector. Yeah. Um, that it was just one of those really fun type classes, you know, and, it, and it's regardless of how long you've been in the industry, you still have gaps here and there. But it's so such a big to... umbrella to say that you are an AV, AV and what, you know, like there's so many areas of audio and visual that you could, that, you know, people say, oh, well, specialize in a certain area i disagree you know you have to be this wide with when you when you start growing in audiovisual and anyone that says oh i know it all is fooling themselves no usually what i've run into um is somebody with that kind of attitude in the av industry is typically not all of what they say they are because what I've run into, and this has been consistent, people that really know something are willing to share it with anybody who's willing to listen. Yes. Ray Rayburn that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Bill Whitlock is another one of those. Uh, Pat Brown of SynodCon, Synergetic Audio Concepts. Yeah. Literally, I've, and I've told this to his face, and like, you know, when I grow up, I want to be like Pat. He is the finest audio teacher on the planet, bar none. Yeah. You know, um, no, that I, is amazing. I've seen that they have, since COVID, they've done a couple more virtual courses. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, if I if I had some pocket money, I would jump on board. Uh, yeah. Their courses. And, they're, and they're doing different stuff now. Um, Gerald Stevens is doing something through SanadCon now. Um, Revit for audiovisual. 
So yeah, they've got that kind of stuff going now too, which is really cool. I'm going to throw some quick fire questions at you, Tom. So in in your all your audio visual days, give me a moment where something went totally wrong and you went, oh shit. <laughs> how did you put it right? Uh, did anyone notice? <laughs> well, we were actually talking about this earlier, what a relational industry this is. And I mentioned Gordon Moore earlier. Um, I had a large AV project and this has been a number of years ago. And I had specified 14 of their new digital matrix products, audio matrix. Um, and I think it was the AM series at the time. And they were a little late on delivery because it was a brand new product. So the boxes actually go in on site into the rack. So there's 14 of these boxes. And one of the features I needed was push to talk in this particular job. And I assumed. Never assumed. Never, never assumed. Yeah. That's, that's one of the first things I've learned in audiovisual. Never assumed. <laughs> so I assumed these boxes would do push to talk. So I get literally a phone call from the programmer on site. Hey, these boxes don't do push to talk. Oh no. So I call up Gordon, Gordon, I assumed your boxes did push to talk. And he's like, well, we knew people would want push to mute. We never thought about push to talk. Two days later, we had updated firmware, but that's the relationships that we have in this industry. Wow. So so you didn't have to change any equipment, nothing. You just had to no. push the firmware. Hold my butt out of the fire. Well. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, I haven't had that I can recall anything go disastrously wrong. Um, I have had some live event stuff, which has been at times very interesting. Um, there was a gig that I did one time at the French Embassy in Washington, DC, uh, was one that was a little more memorable. Um, we did a 4th of July Independence Day, or Rebellion Day, depending on where you're at. Um, and it had it turned into just a complete rainy washout. And I was maneuvering my truck and trailer underneath the tent and doing live events you always carry two shirts okay one shirt to work in and then a dry shirt to, to drive home in yeah i had already changed my dry shirt but had the window down in the truck and the mirror caught one of the other tent poles <laughs> and this deluge <laughs> of rainwater from the top of the tent came pouring in the window of the truck so yeah, that was fun. Um, I ran into the Willard Intercontinental doing a gig there and you had, I think two elevators and whatever time you thought was gonna be for load in, you had like another hour for the Willard Intercontinental. It's just that obnoxious. And then one of the elevators broke on the way back out. So we had to carry things upstairs to get out. Uh, there was Carnegie Mellon where you could not roll anything across their floor. You had to hand carry everything, I guess because of some marble floor or something. I forget what it was now. Years ago. Oh, sure. I, I remember there's a, there's a hotel uh, in Dublin. I won't name which one, but it has, 
Ah, sure, I'll name it. Sure. It, the Shelburne Hotel in, in Dublin has what's known as the Constitutional Desk. It, it was where the Irish Constitution was signed, it, apparently, by the signatories. And I remember in one of the companies I used to work for, um, they were like, okay, well, you, even if you're putting in a portable projector or la laptop, you need to cable lock it to the table or whatever you can to make sure that this doesn't go missing. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm setting up and like the guy, the, the porter just goes, what are you doing? It's like, and like I, I put a mat underneath the table uh, for the laptop and the projector. And he's like, no, you can't do that. I was like, well, my boss says I need to, do you know what that table is? I was like, all right, okay, Grant, yep. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just send an, uh, an email to my boss to tell me to tell her why I can't lock this to the table. Yeah, that's fine. You know, walking away, you know, yeah, I'm not going to damage like a table that's over 100 years old. Nope, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So, look, it, it's been a tough time with COVID-19. There's people losing a job across the board yeah. with the industry. Did you Live events and production. My yeah. gosh, most of those folks have not worked since March. Yeah, same in Ireland. Yeah, I, same in Ireland. And then people that are renting AV equipment. Like We hope to do an episode of our podcast where we're just talking about the Irish AV industry and event yeah. industry to, and just how hard it's hit. Like you'd see this... Um, the UK and I think America as well are doing these type of events where they're setting up lights in red to get people to highlight that the AV industry is suffering from and live events is suffering from 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 COVID nineteen. Did you did you have a feeling that things were changing with the Vixa? Did you did you see it coming? Um, from my vantage point. Um not where I was. I mean, some of the instructors and I had kind of talked amongst ourselves as like, you know, we're still doing classes, how be it distance learning, those kind of things. And we thought we were okay. Um, yeah. But it didn't turn out that way. As far as the live events, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Tom Stimson of the Stimson Group. Okay. Yeah. Based in Dallas. He actually did a 15 week business survival series right. webinar things. And he's live events all the way. And I think he, and um, I'm sure you could still get a hold of recordings and stuff like that, but to kind of, what do you do about your business? Yeah. And what is it going to look adapt like? Adapt or die, you know, on, on, on that front. Um, so you, you've been, you've been out of work for now nearly about two or three weeks now, Tom, what's your hopes? What's your ambitions for the future? Where, where would you like to end up? Get a job. Um, no, seriously, I've been around long enough mm -hmm. where doing something along the idea of consulting slash designing mm -hmm. or um, training for maybe one of the alliances okay. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, one of the things that catches my attention, and I want to be, go two things here, one of which, as the resolutions go up, what are we going to use to transport it? Now, we've still got a bunch of one gig solutions. You know, you can do 4K, but I can go down to, you know, big box house and buy an 8K today, bring it home. Now, we can argue the whole there's no 8K content, 
But at some point, we're going to be moving 8K content. I doubt we're going to be doing that over a gigabit yeah. infrastructure. So what is it that's out there where I can move something like an 8K signal moving forward? I want to be on the forefront of that. leading edge of that mm -hmm. rather than trying to play catch up. Um, the other part of this, when the world does begin to open back up, I don't think it's going to open back up the same way. It's not like everybody's going to go back into the office tomorrow. No. Well, look, I think that what's happened in Ireland, Google, where it's supposed to take over a big building in Dublin and have pulled the plug of taking over, that's a big telltale sign that everyone's going to continue working from home. Yeah. But when we do come back, I, and this is my thought, is it's, you know, we've had meetings in the office before and maybe you've got one or two remote participants kind of thing. I don't see that being the same thing. You're going to have probably just as many people remote as you are in the meeting room at the office. Right. So, and, and you've probably been on enough remote meetings where the audio sucks mm -hmm. and the video sucks and they try and share content and you can't read any of it. Mm -hmm. So when write it on the notepad and hold it up to the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when we do come back to what I kind of see as this hybrid environment, how do we make sure that the remotes are just as included as the people in the room? The audio is going to have to be better. Being able to see the content is going to have to be better. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, and, and like I say, you've been enough on enough of these remote meetings. After a while, you can't see it. You can't hear it. You start checking email and, you know, Facebook and everything else because you're not included in that meeting. You no. really aren't. Yeah. You know, I, you're out of sight, out of mind. When and it can't be that way moving forward. The other end of things, and I think um, Gary Kay touched on it uh, on a webinar at one stage, is when is it going to be that the boss of these businesses start to be Big Brother again and just go, hold on a minute, is Joe Bloggs actually doing an eight-hour shift online? Yeah. A lot of it is trust at the moment. Mm-hmm. But really, when is things going to change? And and I think that's that's an area that people have to watch. Is it going to still be in a year or two's time if this continues? Oh, yeah, well, we trust that, that Justin there is doing his eight-hour day shift. In, <laughs> you know, or... Well, I've been remote for probably 16 years, something like that. So I've been doing this remote gig. It's nothing new to me. <laughs> the pros to being remote is you don't get caught up in the all, all the office gossip. The cons are you don't always know what's going on in the office. Another con also is advancement. Because if you're remote, the chances of you moving higher and up on the ladder, much more limited that way. Mm -hmm. But the other thing too, when you're remote, personal and business kind of all get mixed in. So yeah. there is kind of a trade-off. You know, there's going to be after hours when an email pops up or whatever, and you're going to be responding to that. You don't, you know, if you're in the office, you leave. Yeah. Okay. Five o'clock, the doors get locked, whatever the case may be. You're in your car and 
you know, your workday is done. Well, yeah. at least it's supposed to be. <clears throat> now everybody's so connected, you know, emails go off all sorts of hours, but you actually get to walk away. Being remote, the computer's always on. Something's always happening. Like one of the guys that used to be an in international, he said one of the problems with um, working with the international department is somebody's always awake. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it is a blend. And funny enough, since the layoffs, I don't have any, the, the personal and the business is much more intertwined right now because my full-time job is to find another full-time job. Mm -hmm. So everything right now, regardless of what time or emails or anything, it's all related to business one way or another. And that business of me getting employed again. Mm -hmm. Now I will say this is a marvelous industry with a lot of great people in it. Um, I've had a lot of people reach out to me. I've got some folks that I've been talking to that look kind of positive at the moment. I may find out actually more tomorrow. Right. Um, that'll be the fourth conversation with them. Uh, we've had three really good conversations so far. So it, it looks like it's moving definitely in a positive direction. But, and you would know this too, everybody is pretty much on a hiring freeze right now because there is so much uncertainty. Yeah. Especially right. here in the U.S. at the moment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into politics, you know, I, but I, I, yes, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but, you know, especially when there's one certain person turns around to a journalist and says, please take off your face mask, you know, uh, it, it's, it's questionable of, yeah, but let's not go down about drinking bleach because it doesn't kill the coronavirus. That's just our message of warning on this podcast. But you, you, you sound positive, Tom. You, you you have a couple of ideas up your sleeve. Would would you would you ever think of going back to the personal consultancy yourself and doing your own thing? Doing it on my own. Um, I, I've done things on my own before. Actually, you know, when I had my side business, I didn't go or I didn't take that full time for a reason. Actually, a couple of different reasons one of which the hours mm. because the hours are whacked yeah. when you're doing live events. Um, so the hours, the capital investment, there's never any end because the riders and stuff, they always want the latest, greatest gear. So you're always investing in gear and none of the stuff is light. I mean, yeah, I mean, I still go to a chiropractor once a month on maintenance, but yeah, going to a chiropractor once a week or a couple times a week, uh, that kind of got old, mm. honestly. And I had to, and this is all part of it, uh, I had to deal with a partially herniated disc there for a while, you know, because you're lugging gear. Yeah. And at the end of the night, there is nobody more interested in going home than the sound guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't, I, I don't think that, I don't think live events is going to be the same for no, a long time. And yeah. the, Tom Stimson in his series does an excellent job on what this is going to look like for a lot of people going back. Mm. Yeah. It's but, going to be hard. 
Yeah. They're starting. I mean, and, and he would, he's been saying this basically, you're coming back as a startup all over again. Mm. You're going to be coming back as a startup company. Before I go into my final question, I'm going to throw a couple of more hot fire questions. I'm, I'm glad to hear, first of all, that things are looking positive for you, Tom. Um, well, I may be feeling more positive than looking positive, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Nothing uh, is ever completed until things are signed. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you think ever think that when things pick up again, that Evixa might come knocking again and look for you again? As a, as I a don't team? know, honestly. You can't count on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've been around long enough where I've seen businesses make decisions. I don't always agree with how businesses and the decisions they they make um that's, but that's i'm not business. in that chair so that's business look tom i i can i can say the same on 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 like i'm only in my 30s thankfully i'm still <laughs> i can say i'm in my 30s <laughs> uh, but like the, look you know it even through my years i, I give them and I've I've had my wife say, Justin, you're just stubborn. I was like, well, maybe I'm stubborn. But like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's when you're passionate and wear your heart on your sleeve and you, you strike me as the same type of guy that is passionate, wears order vigil on the sleeve that, you know, t- sometimes things don't go according to the way you want it. And Well, if you think about it this way, I spent almost 16 years there. Yes. So you've invested 16 years of your life, like in any relationship, and then the relationship goes south. Mm. Well, you know, you can take all this personally, but wait a minute, this isn't like a marital relationship or girlfriend or whatever. You know, this is business. Yeah. So you separate the personal from the business. Yeah. And move on. And, you know, one person that was let go, they were there for 20 years. Yes. They're, I think, maybe early 40s or something like that. So it was like half of their lifetime, you know, if you put it in that kind of perspective. So if you've invested half of your life and all of a sudden, you know, you've shown the door, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's going to smart. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess... You- like me, you can't wait till the trade events are back up and running yeah. again. Um, there's a lot of talk about ICE happening in 2021. We we wait with anticipation. Hopefully it will happen. Will you attend if you can? Well, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just the gear, it's the relationships. And this is going to be true too. At some point, I mean, we've been doing these virtual meetings and everything else. But at some point, people still have to meet face-to-face. Absolutely. Again, I, we had Mike Blackman on the program. And you know what? I've done a lot of virtual trade shows throughout the summer simply because, you know, I'm working in a university. I had time to pop into some of these, and I, I worked around. I'm working from home. I've worked around times with my wife to, to join these virtual events. But it's – and, yeah. Like I talk to a lot of the AV tweeps online, but it's not the same. You know, right. I miss, I'm, that's two ISEs I missed. I didn't go to the one just before COVID. Just, I, I was sitting on the fence saying, do I, don't I with my co-hosts and we two, the two of us decided not to go. And we're not like, we have no regrets of not going because like COVID happened 
a couple of weeks later. Yeah. But yeah, we're missing that experience. You know, like we can't have a drink together and sit down and talk. Right. And, you know, whether even if it's a coffee, you know, it's it's still not the same. And there's only so much of these virtual events that we can do. Yeah. When an introvert like myself starts missing people, you know, this has gone on too long. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so that's why that's another thing we found out about this the, on this podcast that Tom considers himself an introvert. Um, I so I, I just said ISC or or okay, you, you, you because you worked with the Vixa, ISC or Infocom, which which do you prefer? You know, funny enough, I never had the opportunity to go to ISE. Well, um, you know? A couple of the other guys did. Chuck right. and Marcus would typically go to ISE. Okay. Um, Chuck would do some flash tracks and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it's, I mean, Avixa does these events all over the world. You can't throw everybody at it all the time. Mm -hmm. But certainly I did all of the uh, U.S. shows. So which is better, Vegas or Florida? Or, or, I am definitely an Orlando fan as compared to Vegas. Vegas okay. is just not my kind of town. It's just not. I have enjoyed doing some of the technical tours, behind the scenes stuff uh, for members, uh, one of which was the studio at the Palm, Palms. Uh, that was fabulous. Got to see backstage at O uh, for Cirque du Soleil. Uh, so Jim Albright told, told me about that as well, and he actually said, "If if I ever get over, he's going to take me behind the scenes of of I I've actually never been to like I've seen movie or documentaries on Cirque du Soleil. I've never actually been to one. I still want to go to one. I I yeah. love to see behind the scenes. I I think if I went into Cirque du Soleil." I would be that type of guy that just couldn't concentrate on the performers. I'd be looking at the actual setup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm that type of character. Like, you know, um, and especially with my background in TV and, and radio production, you know, I start breaking apart a, a production and my wife just turns around and goes, would you actually just watch TV properly and just switch <laughs> off? <laughs> Well, we when we did the the tour, we actually went through one of the um, rehearsal spaces where they had some um, different apparatus and stuff that they were practicing on, you know. And you got to see kind of the performance or performers rehearsing and just exercising and stuff, and and they're amazing. Now I don't, and Cirque du Soleil actually declared bankruptcy because of all this COVID thing a couple months back. So I don't know what their current status is. Right. Um, you know, they're another one. And it's not just the performers, it's all of the tech production and it's musicians and everybody else that's been caught up in this thing. Yes, yeah. And so you, you say you're you're a Florida guy. Uh, the last uh, quick fire. As compared to Vegas, I'm not uh, one of those, you know, when I get old, move to Florida kind of thing. Florida is too flat, too humid, too many bugs, too many alligators. <laughs> So that's why that's why you stay where you are. If possible. Yeah, I'm actually in Virginia. I'll stay put. Thank you. If if I was to say for Father's Day or Christmas present, a tech toy and any budget, what would you what would be the ultimate present for Tom? At the moment. 
Now, funny enough, I am kind of anti-tech in a lot of ways. If I had my preferences, I would be out in the middle of like 100 acres mm-hmm. off the grid, surrounded by a moat full of hungry alligators. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I still have three rotary phones hooked up here at the house just to be obnoxious. Um, but if I were going to get a toy at the moment, it would be a Sennheiser 441. Nice. Okay. You know, I've got my RE27 here. We talked earlier, you've got your Rode NT1. But man, the 441 is an amazing microphone. And I saw a guy, he was on a, we were on a uh, Zoom, and he's got a 441 hooked up. And all I can do is just drool over it. <laughs> Those are just fabulous microphones. Yeah. What, but... On those type of approaches for microphones and doing what we're doing, yeah, okay. You, we it's talk overkill, to... absolute <laughs> overkill, and it's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like you want, you might want to use that microphone for a couple of other things. You know, even if you were to set up a PA unit and start playing yeah. some music or something through it. But are you a music guy? Or like, do you, do you play? Any? No, I used to. I, the last time I really did anything musical, I was still in high school, and I was actually a trombone player. Um, okay. So I'm not one of like the. Like the way yourself and Chuck Espinosa could could like just jam together. At that, <laughs> you know, has that ever happened in in all the times in Virginia where you just get together and just? No, it hasn't. Um, you know, but I I had done. I've mixed audio for years and that kind of stuff. And with the traveling and stuff for a VIX, I really didn't have a chance to get back into that. So for the past 16 years, I really haven't, with a couple of exceptions here or there, haven't had my, you know, haven't had my fingers on the faders for a while. There are occasions when I, when I, I look at a console, it's like, man, that'd be fun to do again. But with the family situation and stuff going on at the moment, I've kind of like set all that aside for a little bit. Mm. You know, maybe someday we'll get back into it. Now, I'm going to, my last question is probably going to be the most difficult question of all, Tom, especially with what's happening with COVID-19. But for a young person that's thinking of entering the world of audiovisual, what tips or advice could you give them? Mm. Um, funny enough, and get an I get a IT background. Mm. So get your feet wet in IT. One of the things, the differences between AV and IT, with IT they have rules, they have standards, right? Mm. With AV, we just throw all this crazy stuff that was never meant to work together, and we hook it all up, and it's all like the wild wild west. But still need to learn the technology. That's the IT part of it, okay? Learn your IT. But learn about content. What does it sound like? What do you need to be able to see it? And learn about the space, the acoustics part of it. You know, you, you may, not, may not want to be a full-blown acoustician. I mean, I, I find acousticians are amazingly smart people. But learn about the space learn about the content, learn how the eyes and ears work. 
learn about shapes and sizes. It's interesting. That's a, you call that information IT. Well, mm -hmm. it's information technology, but that I still consider what those couple of things that you listed off as the audiovisual ends of Yeah. Well, what I mean by that is basically learn how to move content through a switch. Yes. Yeah. A okay. standard off the shelf Ethernet switch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I kind of that to me, a personal opinion here. You know, we've had our proprietary matrix switchers. And if you're doing just a one room solution, all that's fine. But beyond just a one room solution, again, this is me. I see that proprietary AV matrix switch being replaced by a standard off the shelf Ethernet switch. Oh, it's already there, Tom. It is, but it's not, it's not everywhere. It's there. You know, and you all oh, back in the day, you would start an AV design and you would use a whatever Tron switch that you want to use. You know, that was at the heart of your system. And that was like every system you ever did. Now, every system that you do at the heart, by default, without any other consideration, is going to be an off the shelf Ethernet switch. Yes. Yeah. That's true. So, so you say learn IT, then go and look at the different spaces and. Gosh, yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I, now, am I the only person that's probably still contacting you, asking you CTS questions and. Oh, no. Are no, you getting started no. still at, post Avixa? Yeah. I mean, it's part of what, and, and I would say this, it's part of the privilege that we had being Evixa instructors, mm -hmm. you know, to be a resource for people. Yeah. Uh, your, your face is still on all the AV maps or your cartoon <laughs> face is still on all the AV maps videos as well. And I'm, I'm not a fan of the animations. I much prefer the real humans. Well, you know, what? I, do you know what? I think it's a bit of a step up from you using the acetates on, a, on a, <laughs> you know, like that. That I think they did need to update some of the some of the, especially when you're still using chalk on a, on the blackboard and and doing PEMDAS. And All the like very early ones that we did, I was using uh, dry erase boards. Yeah, on those. That was a long, long time ago. Yeah, and but you know, like, and they, like, it's it's a it's a labyrinth of training material, and especially when you talk about Avixa only being what maybe two years old now from the from the name change, the amount of stuff that you still come across with the Infocom logos on on the training portal. That well, I've still got some ICIA branded stuff around here. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, if if people want to reach out to you. What's the best way they can contact you? Oh, uh, email really is probably the quickest way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be acustx at gmail.com. I like the way that's spelled out. Yes. <laughs> acustx acoustics. Mm -hmm. uh, at gmail.com is the easiest way to do it. Do you don't you don't really get involved in the in the AV tweets as, as much as I haven't. I Chuck has been all over social media forever. Mm -hmm. um, I I just haven't as much. 
you know, my kids are a little older. I'm more involved with some of the kids and things going on there. And uh, to be honest, my mother um, lives with me here and she's disabled. So some of that takes up time. Mm -hmm. um, other things that have taken up time, th there was a separation divorce that took like three and a half years to resolve. Okay. So, I mean, there's been those kinds of things um, that have been, that take up time. So I have not been the social butterfly that Chuck is. <laughs> I think Chuck enjoys that too Chuck much. Chuck gets around everywhere. He really does. Yeah, I think you just need to, to, to get in touch with Chris Nito and let him personal branch you now at, yeah. the, at the stage, Tom. Like, like, like our show? Don't forget to subscribe to All Things Techie in your favorite podcast store.